You know, Cole and I this morning are going to be teaching, me here, him over in Malvern, we're going to be teaching something that we have both been learning from a mentor of ours, and we're going to, this morning, try to pass this on to you as accurately as possible as it was taught to us, because I believe what we're going to be teaching today and next Sunday and then the other weeks of this series have such great potential to impact and to change your life starting right now. And so we want to do this as accurately as possible, and we're going to pass it on to you. Um, it's going to be something that for today that possibly we've all wondered about. I know I have personally wondered about it, and it's not really a Christian thing. It's kind of not even a religious thing. It's just a human thing. And I've wondered it, and I think probably you have at times maybe wondered it as well. And here's what it is. Why would a good God allow bad things to happen? Big question, and you've probably asked that. It's a universal question, right? I mean, I think everyone in the world has asked this question many times. And for some, this question, when you begin to really wrestle with it and try to figure it out, it marks for some of us the end to our faith because we can't, uh, we can't make it all work out. Or maybe it marked the beginning of the end of your faith. This question or some version of this question may have completely undermined your faith, completely. In fact, right now, your faith might be just kind of gradually dying a slow death because of something bad that has happened. Dying a slow death around something maybe that happened to you or something that happened to somebody you love very dearly. And you just can't reconcile how if God is good, then these bad things exist. So consequently, maybe you've been watching your faith die, or maybe you've been watching someone close to you, their faith maybe has been dying. Or maybe it died a long time ago, because some version of this question maybe rocked your world and you couldn't answer it. But here's the interesting thing as we think about this question specifically, because I, I know I've asked this, and you probably have too. When we ask this question, we think about those bad things around us in the world. Isn't that true? We focus on all those bad things out there happening all around us, out there, but not the bad in here, in me. We just want to think about that bad, not the bad that's in me or in you. Okay, so let, let me ask a follow-up question. Now, don't raise your hand. You don't even have to nod at this. This is just kind of one of those questions I ask, and inside your mind, you give yourself an answer. Here's the question. Have you ever done anything bad? I mean anything. Or here, here's another version of that. Have you ever wanted to do something bad? I mean you really really wanted to, but you were afraid you would get caught. So to be honest, the only reason maybe you didn't do that was because you didn't want to go to prison. <laughs> I thought of someone I wanted to run over with a car, right? Yeah. So it's a good thing. Yeah, me too. I, I, I've been there as well. But it's so interesting 
when people begin to wrestle with the existence of a good God as it relates to evil in the world, it's always the evil that's out there, and it's never the evil that's in here. So to say it another way, I've never heard anyone make this case. Because listen, I know for me, Harley, I know that I've done some bad things. But I've never heard anyone make this case. How could a good God allow me to happen? Or here's another version of it. If God was good, he would have done something about me by now. But see, we don't ask that. Somehow, when we begin internalizing those things, we think like this. Wait, 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 Harley, Harley, Harley. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about my version of bad. I'm not talking about the evil that's inside me. I'm talking about those really big things out there. But the problem is, once you begin to look at the big bad things out there, as opposed to the little bad things in my heart, then we've changed the subject. And we've also changed the question. So suddenly, you're in a, this, this world of how much wood can a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? And this way of thinking ultimately leads to this logic problem that's called an unfalsifiable premise. That's a big word that just makes your head spin. What actually means, it means this, that, that it makes the argument meaningless. Here's why it's meaningless. If you chase that question down to its logical extreme, it gets emotional. I mean, it gets really emotional. That, that's why we don't usually chase this down to its logical extreme, because the question is just so emotional. But if we were to chase that question down, why would a good God allow bad things to happen to its logical extreme, here is where we end up. We would have to say, I don't believe God exists because I exist. And the way for you to convince me that a good God exists is for me, hardly, to no longer exist and for you to no longer exist. See, we couldn't... God couldn't create me, couldn't create you if he didn't allow bad things to exist because we know we have bad inside of us. Then, I, then if he didn't create me, then I wouldn't be around to convince myself why bad things happen. So I wouldn't be here. Do you follow, do you follow that? It, it's this emotional cyclone. It's never ending when you chase it down to its logical extreme. But again, this is such an emotional question that I think even if we, we don't have to take it to its logical extreme because this question is never going to go away. But I think if John were here, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the guy who wrote the fourth biography of uh, the good news that he experienced, John. I think if John were here, that John who followed Jesus around every step of the way, that John who saw everything that Jesus did, that John who heard everything that Jesus said, John who experienced hope walking, I think John would say, 
stop, hang on, hang on. I think John would say, I saw something that might help you with this dilemma. John might say, I saw God in a body like ours, and he coexisted with evil men and evil all around him. And when I say evil, I mean evil. I think John would say that, or some of that. He would say that he saw God in a body that he created, and in that body, he was not here to prove that he was God in a bod by eliminating all evil. That's not how he proved it. He did something else entirely. He didn't even eliminate, I think John would say this, he didn't even eliminate the evil that's inside of me, John would say. But do you know what he did? He loved me. And when I submitted my life to him and began following him, he went to work at beginning to eliminate the evil inside of me. So John, who spent countless hours with Jesus, can say, I saw God, and I saw evil, and they can coexist, but it's nothing like what you might imagine. So when John saw hope walking into his life, when Jesus walked into his life, everything changed for John. But John said in his biography of good news, John said, I didn't simply want to tell you what happened. No, no, no. John says, here's what happened, but I have an agenda. This is why I am writing these things to you. He says, my agenda is this. I want you to come to the same conclusion about Jesus that I did. And the only way to help you arrive where I arrived in what I think about Jesus, John would say, is to tell you what I saw. But John would say this. He's saying that I saw. There's so much, and there's far too much to write. So John takes this opportunity to write his biography of, his good, of the good news, and, and he organizes his account of the life of Jesus around things that he calls signs. We would look at those and probably call them miracles. But John would say, no, 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 no. It's not really just a miracle. It is so much more than a miracle, because a miracle is kind of a standalone event. No, no. A sign is an unusual event, but it points, it's a sign, it points to something else. And throughout the account that John writes of the life of Jesus, it is so clear. He's saying, I don't want you, John is saying, I don't want you to fasten your affection and your direction in life on a miracle of Jesus, I want to make sure that you look toward what that miracle or that sign is pointing to, which is Jesus. Because the miracles of Jesus were not random acts of kindness. 
They were specific events on purpose in order to substantiate what Jesus said about himself. And today, we're going to be exploring what is so often referred to as the sixth sign of Jesus, the number six. Now, before we get there, quickly let me give you a little bit of context for where we're going in this passage. Throughout the ministry of Jesus, he was constantly making uh, one very specific trip from Jerusalem north to the region called Galilee. You see, Jesus was from Galilee, and he was constantly going between the region of Galilee to Jerusalem. Jerusalem back to Galilee, constantly between the two. All of his family and Galilee was kind of a friendly, braced him early on. They were from Galilee. And so Galilee was kind of a friendly, down-to-earth type place, you might say. And whenever hope went walking, Jesus went walking to Jerusalem. Whenever hope went walking that direction, in particular to the temple in Jerusalem, there was almost always some kind of conflict that would arise. Now, before this sixth sign that we're going to look at, that was recorded by John, um, Jesus had made his way to Jerusalem, and he's at the temple, which always made his followers, his disciples, nervous because there usually trouble was stirred up. And once again, while Jesus was there at the temple, Um, Jesus gets into a conversation and it gets heated by the other guys. They turn the heat up. Um, It's the temple leaders and they're trying to turn up the heat on Jesus. Followers, because they do not like Jesus. They ask him this question because they have a motive and they've been dying to ask him for a long time and they finally ask it. They come out and they ask it and here's what they say to Jesus. John chapter 10 verse 24. They say, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, Tell us plainly. Now, they don't think he is. That's not what the intent. They're not trying to follow him. And Jesus, they're saying, listen, dude, are you claiming to be the Messiah or are you not? I mean, just tell us. Let us know. Very plainly, let us know. And here's how Jesus responds. This is amazing. He says, I did tell you, but you do not believe. And he's about to say, I haven't just told you, I haven't just preached it, I haven't just let it come out of my mouth. I have done more than that. Here's what he said. The works I do, or in other words, the signs that I perform, these things that are unexplainable, that I'm able to do and nobody else can do, he says, these things I do in my Father's name testify about me. In other words, what I'm doing has been pretty clear. In other words, I didn't just tell you, I showed you that I'm the Messiah. He's like, guys, listen, I've already given you all the evidence you need. You just won't embrace it. You won't. Because they are maybe like some of us, and they were just willfully blind. It's like, I've already decided you're not. You're not. I've already decided. They would not look um, at what he was doing, which was very clear and could be seen. They weren't trying to discover 
what could be discovered? No. Jesus preached and he taught openly. He performed his signs openly. But they just couldn't bring themselves to arrive at the same conclusion that Jesus wanted them to arrive. So at this point now, this is a significant moment. This conversation that Jesus is having with these temple leaders, it is a point at which Jesus decides now is the time, the appropriate time for me to go all in. I'm going to, Jesus is, is, is he's going to tell us and he's going to leave Jerusalem and he's going to leave that temple and go just a short distance away because he wanted to make sure that word which traveled fast, what he was getting ready to do, this sixth sign, what he was getting ready to do would get to Jerusalem quickly, the word about it. All of these events that we're getting to read about today and next week, they happen just within a very short distance of Jerusalem. Listen, okay, you have no more excuses. I'm all in. I'm going to show you something that is going to make no doubt I am the Messiah. And Jesus performs a, a, a sign. In fact, the sign, which we'll talk about in, in a little bit, is actually kind of disturbing for us. Because Jesus is actually going to manufacture. He's planning this in advance, what's going to happen. He's going to manufacture a sign that the, the community and everyone around him would have no doubt anymore who Jesus claimed to be. This is Jesus going all in. In fact, the sign was so indisputable that it forced the hand of those people who were the enemy of Jesus, who were willfully blind, they could no longer accept the fact that Jesus really was who he claimed to be. And that's what set in the motion them moving him towards his death. Because it's like, okay, we just got to kill him. Enough background now. Here's what happened according to John. So I gave you the background with that verse. He goes a short distance away, okay? So here's, here's what's going on. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany. Uh, Bethany is about a day and a half walk from its southeast of Jerusalem. You can get there easily a day and a half. Uh, he was from Beth Bethany the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, and here's what the word was. Lord, the one you love is sick. Now can you imagine uh, Jesus here, the messenger comes to him and just simply says, the one you love. And Jesus knows immediately who they're talking about. Not just because he's Jesus, but they knew that would communicate, hey, this is Lazarus. Can you imagine knowing Jesus that well that you could say, hey, Jesus is the one you love? And that, can you imagine how fortunate Lazarus was to be that close to his friend, Jesus? They knew exactly who he was referring to. Verse four, when he, Jesus, heard this, Jesus said, this sickness 
will not end in death. But now, side note, the fact of the matter was, by the time the messenger got this message to Jesus, Lazarus probably died while that message was being sent. Lazarus is probably already dead at this moment. When Jesus heard this, he said, the sickness will not end in death. And he goes on, he says more. No, it is for, the sickness is for God's glory. To which, if you didn't know the story, you would say, what? Sickness? Sickness? Jesus. What? What are you talking about? How is something bad like this sickness going to be good for your glory? So evidently, Jesus believed, Jesus who is God, believed that bad things could happen to good people. And John records it. Somehow, it underscores that Jesus really is God. And at the same time, what's going to happen is going to actually prove the existence of God. If we're wondering, how could a good God allow bad things? So that's what's going to happen. That's the end of the road here, the end of the journey that we're going to be talking about. And John would say, yeah, yeah, true. But we're just getting started. So Jesus finishes the statement. Here's how he ends. It's going to bring God glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. In other words, this sickness or this bad thing or this evil or uh, even this thing, no one caused this to happen. It wasn't an evil person who came and did something to Lazarus. It was nature. So even somehow evil inside of nature itself, something bad is happening. It's not just a person who's causing this. This is nature itself. Now, listen, it's not just bad deeds of other people who hurt us. It's not the evil of someone else that inflicts that upon you. It's not just that. Jesus is now delving into that big question of, of evil doesn't just exist in people. Evil also exists. Bad things exist in nature itself. And let's be honest, have you ever wondered about that? Why, why does it seem that nature, even nature, works against us as humans? Why are there so many natural disasters, right? How, why, why does nature even work against us? How could we, even remotely, believe in a good God when even nature tries to destroy us? So see, here we have this sickness, something in nature, as it relates to Lazarus, and Jesus is hearing this, and he's leaving it unattended. He doesn't address it. He doesn't take care of this on purpose, because Jesus has a purpose in this bad thing that's going to happen here in this story. And in this story, Jesus, for his disciples, 
And Jesus, for many of us, he creates a brand new category of things happening. And here it is. Sickness or bad things for the glory of God. Now, not everything that's bad fits into that, but in this story, that's exactly where it fits, this new category, sickness, bad things for the glory of God. And that is so uncomfortable for us to hear. It is so not intuitive for us to think about. Sickness, God allowing that for his glory. Now, John knows that his readers, the people who are, who are reading his biography of the good news, his readers at this point are immediately going to think, John, what are you talking about? This makes no sense. Bad thing on purpose. Which is why maybe John jumps into this story to add this next statement that I'm going to read because he's making this editorial comment for his readers because he knows how ridiculous this sounds, because it sounds like Jesus really hates Lazarus. And he says this in verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Why does he tell us this? Because it sure doesn't look like that Jesus loves Lazarus. And John would say, listen, guys, I know I'm writing this. This is how it happened. And I know, I know, I know what you might be thinking. And it was confusing for us, too, when we saw this happening. It looked like he doesn't love him. But hang in there with me. Hang on. Don't give up. Verse 6. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, here's what happened. He stayed where he was two more days. Which, wow. It astounds the people who are around him because they know that Jesus and Lazarus were tight, that Jesus loved Lazarus like a friend. He knew up to go heal Lazarus, his close friend. And the answer was, Jesus was up to something. He was staging a sign with a purpose in mind. And then, while Jesus stays, Two days go by. The messenger has gone back to Bethany two days ago. And Jesus and his crew, they've been hanging out. He's been teaching, spending time with his disciples. And suddenly in the middle of that, two days after they got the message that, hey, Lazarus is sick and probably already dead, Jesus, two days later, stands up and he says, verse 7, all right, let's go. Back to Judea. Okay. So, Jesus, now we're confused. We're not going. Um, it's someone who you really care about, and uh, you wait, you delay, and now we're going? They're thinking, Jesus, remember also the last time that we went to that area uh, around Jerusalem and the temple, you know, and it didn't go so well, Jesus, you know, the fact uh, that time they were trying to stone you. They were trying to kill you, Jesus. And in case you missed the point of the story here, a problem with being stoned, and if you're around someone who's being stoned, not everybody's a baseball star. They're not all accurate. And if you're close, standing close to the person who's being stoned, there's a good chance you're going to get hurt. So you don't want to be near someone who's being stoned. So, see, the disciples realized this. They have seen it happen. They knew in the life of Jesus, if Jesus is in danger, 
we are in danger. Which explains why his disciples say this to Jesus in verse 8. Oh, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there, they tried to stone you. And yet, you're going back? And the real issue probably is not they're trying to stone you, but Jesus, you want us to go with you? So there's all this tension. And Jesus, as Jesus, does his Jesus thing here. Now, I love where we're going next with this, because where Jesus goes next, no one, if they were just making this story up, no one would add this to the story because it just doesn't make sense where it's going. But when we know the big picture now, it makes perfect sense. But to them, they're probably like, oh my goodness, Jesus, man, do you need a nap? What's going on here? So this is one of the reasons I love this because no one would make this up and add it. And here's what John lets us know happened next. These were the moments where his disciples are just, they're confused because what just happened or what's happening and then what comes out of Jesus's mouth, they're like, whoa, I I don't get it. So they're trying to talk Jesus out of going back toward the city. And here's what Jesus says. Verse nine, are there not 12 hours of daylight what? Jesus? Yes, there are. Jesus says, anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. Verse 10, it is when a person tries to walk around at night that they stumble, for they have no light. To which they're scratching their head and they're thinking, well, thank you, Jesus. Yes, we knew that. That's not new information. But what does it have to do with anything? But see, as this manufactured sign that Jesus is in the process of manufacturing, as it unfolds, the point becomes crystal clear. Here's what Jesus is saying to his guys. They, they understand this later. Guys, you, listen, hope came walking into your life. Hope came walking in as the light of the world. And you need to follow the light of the world while the light of the world is in the world. Now, Jesus said some similar things before, and we talked about some of this last month in the last series. It's like he's saying, guys, listen, you have the opportunity. It is such a unique opportunity. You are in the physical presence of the light of the world. And while the light of the world is in the world, while hope is walking, you need to follow. Follow the light of the world. Because the light of the world is leaving the world very soon. And when the light of the world leaves, the world is going to become so, so dark. Gentlemen, he was saying, you will never see more clearly than you are right now because I'm here. Hope came walking into your life. And what's about to happen What you are about to see this week and next week, the sign that he is about to perform, he's saying what you are about to see, it will remove 
all doubts that you might have about me. Guys, he's saying, if you stay here and hope goes walking out of your life out to Bethany and you stay here, you're going to miss the opportunity of a lifetime. You will miss the opportunity to see the light of the world bringing his light to this situation that we're walking into that will change the way you and people think about life and death forever. And he said to them, and I believe he says to us, if you refuse to follow hope walking, the light of the world, you will simply stumble around the darkness for the rest of your life. You'll stumble around this world in darkness because it will have no meaning. It will have no purpose and no result to look forward to. You'll stumble around in darkness um, trying to kind of make sense of everything in the world that's going on. And it's in a world that doesn't make sense. So you'll just stumble around trying to make sense of good and evil, trying to figure out, well, how, how, how do we even know what evil is? And we're comparing evil to God and, and, and we're saying, do I even believe in a God? Pardon me. He's saying, apart from me, the author of life, Jesus Apart from me, we will never understand life. And we'll eventually just find ourselves backed into a dark corner of despair. And I want you to know, it is from that dark corner of despair that Richard Dawkins, accurately for him, in that corner of dark despair, says this. There is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. And he said that from that dark corner of despair. But Jesus is saying to his disciples, and he's saying to you, and he's saying to me, hope came walking. Now follow me. Because I'm the light of the world, he says. And I came to this world to bring light into your world. And apart from me, Jesus would say, the author of light, it will seem meaningless if you're not connected to me. And you'll stumble around the darkness trying to piece together things that we'll never piece together. John goes on in verse 11. After Jesus has said this, he went on to tell them, guys, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go wake him up. So who's in, guys? Who's going with me? We going? Well, they they don't want to go. <laughs> they start now giving Jesus uh, some medical advice. Okay, Creator, medical advice. Um, 
we've done that too. We've, we've given God our own advice. Here's what they say. Oh, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. In other words, see, Jesus, listen, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, Jesus, but, you know, when people are sick and they're hurting and they're struggling, they need their sleep. They need to be asleep because while they're sleeping, their body can work at getting them better. He needs to be sleeping so he can get better, Jesus. That's what needs to happen. So we don't need to go to Lazarus, uh, to Bethany, where they tried to stone you. We don't need to go anywhere near there, right, Jesus? Right? We don't need to go wake him up because he's getting better while he sleeps. Jesus, we don't want to go. <laughs> don't make us go. Oh, Jesus, don't make me go. Now, John was one of those saying, don't make me go, Jesus. <laughs> but now John, because he's on the other side of the story writing this now, he gives us a little inside look and he says in verse 13, Jesus had been speaking of Lazarus' death, but his disciples, one of which John was, thought he meant natural sleep, <laughs> real sleep. So, uh, yeah, hey, listen, that should give us some hope. These guys aren't always all that sharp all the time, right? Gives me hope. So then he told them plainly, okay, Lazarus is dead. To which they probably thought, wait a minute, Jesus, you told us days ago this sickness was not going to end in death. And now you're telling us he's dead? Now, if you've been listening to this account, what comes next in the story is so horrible for Mary and so horrible for Martha to have experienced. And obviously, it was horrible for Lazarus who died. It is terrible for them. Now, Lazarus is dead, and Mary and Martha now, all these emotions, these horrible emotions of how Jesus let their friend die. This is terrible for them, but it is wonderful for you and I. What Jesus says next is wonderful for every future generation that would hear this account in the life of Jesus. Verse 14, Lazarus is dead. And in verse 15, he says, and for your sake, listen, nobody would put those words in the mouth of Jesus and make this up. He, he's talking about his disciples. Hey, fellas, following me for your sake. But he's talking to us too. For our sake too. For your sake. For my sake. For your sake, he says, I'm glad I was not there. I'm glad this friend of mine, I'm glad I let him die. For your sake. He says, I'm glad I was not there to keep my friend from going through agony and the pain of death. I'm glad I was not there. I'm glad this happened for your sake. I'm glad I was not there to keep his sisters from watching their brother 
die. He says, I'm glad I was not there. I'm glad that I allowed that to happen. For the disciples' sake, for your sake, and for my sake. And for the sake of every parent who has ever buried a child. And for the sake of every husband whose wife has died. For the sake of every child who has had to bury a parent way, way too early. And for all of us, Jesus is manufacturing, causing this sign to happen. He allowed that bad thing. The light of the world had come into the world to shed light on one of the dilemmas that mankind has wrestled with for thousands of years. How do I reconcile the idea of a good God allowing a bad, evil world? And Jesus says to that, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. And he's staging a sign with a purpose in mind. I don't know where you are in your journey with Jesus right now at this moment. Your journey of faith as you're figuring things out for you. But I do feel like we've all asked this question. How can I reconcile that God is good or even exist if he allows evil, bad things to exist? And it's so prevalent in you and it's prevalent in me. Which is why Jesus manufactures this sign with a purpose in mind. Which is why after talking to those temple leaders, Jesus says, oh yeah, okay, I got you. I'm all in. This is the time. The time is right. I am going all in and I'm going to, what I do next is going to remove all doubt that he was exactly who he said that he was. The Messiah, the Son of God with a body. God with a body. And in verse 15 he says, and for your sake, for my sake, he says, for your sake, for you, for Harley, for your children, for your parents, your grandchildren, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. And then he says, but enough of that. Let's go to him. And that is where we're going to pick up the story next week. With hope walking into Bethany so that you and I can believe. And Jesus says, come on guys, hope is walking. Are you going to go with me? Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that no matter what is going on in our lives right now, that we can 
see fit to trust that no matter what bad or what evil has been thrust into our lives, that God somehow we can come out believing. Because Jesus' hope came walking 2,000 years ago at just the right time. Hope came walking. And when you came walking, according to the plan that you set before creation, when you came walking, everything changed. And God, we simply say, as best we can, we're learning that you are our only hope. And it is you, Jesus, that will ultimately deliver us. And it is with those words, and still with all of our questions, that we are simply going to say, Jesus, will you help us over the course of this series, and next week specifically, to begin to fill in some blanks. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, who proved, yes, he was the Messiah. In your name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.